Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Nicola Siso and this is Aspen Talks Health. Today I am joined with Evan Soroka. She is a yoga therapist who specializes in diabetes and chronic conditions. We are going to talk about willpower and cravings and techniques how to boost your willpower. I am so excited. This is going to be super informative. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. My pleasure. We have had a conversation before, and I just want to honor you at being such an elegant speaker. You have a masterful way of articulating such mm. complex concepts. So I'm very grateful that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> Good. So let's start off. We're going to focus a little bit on diabetes, but all of this can really apply to anyone. Please know that... Uh, We'll talk a lot about food, but that can be cravings for anything. And and so and know that you can replace diabetes and food with anything that you're triggered by, any cravings that you have. So please stay tuned, even if you're not a diabetic or suffer from constant food cravings like I do. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with what are the triggers for you when it comes to food cravings? Like, mm. are the, is there certain emotions? I, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm yeah, sorry. no, it's fine. Uh, are there certain emotions or things that you experience that drive you to want to eat? Yeah. Well, being type 1, yes. your blood sugar has a huge effect on food. So if you're running low or hypoglycemic, there is a, a ravenous desire to eat because you feel like you're bonking or you're lightheaded. So it, it's almost slightly distinct from a craving. It's more of a, a necessity right. that if you don't eat something, you'll die. Right. Um, and so often I find that when I'm running low, uh, it's easy to just go for whatever's there uh, and not always think about what it is that I'm putting into my system. You go for what's there, what's going to bring me up as soon as possible to right. feeling normal again. Right. So that's a big one for me. Right. I experience also as a type 1 diabetic that I, I crave especially sugars when my sugars are high. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, what, you would think that the brain would naturally know your sugars are high. Right. <laughs> that's not what you need right now. Right. And yet that's when I'm like, chocolate! Like, <laughs> cravings. Absolutely. It, how do it's, you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Well, you recognize, is it really happening, mm. what you're craving? So when I'm high and I might be craving something that I know is going to make my, my blood sugar worse, I think about how I would feel if I would actually eat that thing. And that is something that gives me a lot of fortitude, is the ability to compare it to how I would feel. And then that feeling, uh, is it's worse to feel that way than it is to have that momentary bliss in, in my mouth. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Yeah. So, so it's choice. Right. Uh, and, and that's... That's what I rely on. At thinking of the aftermath, essentially. Yeah. How are you going to feel? Is this, how is this going to make me feel? How is it going to make me feel? And I think we have that around a lot of things. There's, right. there's our, lots of guilt. There's good and bad. There's labels to the kind of food we eat. Beyond diabetes, uh, just in our culture, like 
you go in any direction, carbs are good, carbs are bad, fat is good, fat is bad. And it's so complex and confusing. Uh, and it's easy to demonize food without thinking about is this food good for me? Whereas it might not be something that works for you. Even as a type one diabetic, your digestion might be better with something okay. than mine would be or vice versa. Right. So it's about be, becoming more aware of your own unique system and observing how certain things affect you in a different way and then a, applying awareness to what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Is there a moment where you try and uncover the, the trigger Hmm. Do you take that time or, or I, I love the concept of, of the aftermath. I mean, that is so even like alcohol or why oh, yeah. you, know, you get triggered, you crave something that, you know, you probably sh shouldn't have. Yeah. And then if you have a moment where you stop and think, how am I going to feel after? I think that's so key. That's key. I mean, yeah. that's self-awareness. Right. And, and that helps to promote self-discipline. Right. But looking at the trigger, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's so common when I feel ungrounded or um, less than stable, emotional, or I'm avoiding something. Yes. I go straight to my kitchen. And so just to notice what is it that you're doing. I mean, it could be food. It could be a drink. It could be TV. It could be anything. We reach outside of ourselves to fill the feeling of a void. Right. And so the more clear and perceptive you can be in your patternings, the more awareness you'll have of why you're doing what you're doing. And when you have more awareness and clarity, then you have more choice, I think. Beautiful. <laughs> so true. So... There are many times as a diabetic that I feel that I'm doing everything I possibly can. I feel like I'm doing it all right. I, I'm exercising, I'm choosing well mm -hmm. food-wise, and yet I still get a high blood sugar mm -hmm. reading or something, and it's just, it's, it feels defeating mm -hmm. is the word that comes to mind. Absolutely. I, I feel like it, it triggers the not good enough mm -hmm. sense. How do you deal with that? <laughs> well... When that happens, I usually excavate a little deeper. Are there some other mistakes that I'm not seeing, uh, potentially with insulin quality or site? You know, if you're using the same site, the same area of your body where you're injecting or using an insulin pump, how that might affect your absorption rate. Right. Um, when did I take insulin in relationship to when I ate? And then if I cannot still figure out what it is, hormones have a huge factor, mm. then I chalk it up to surrendering. Because there's no point in holding on to something that you can't find a, a cause for. If there's, you can't figure out the cause, nor can you infer the cause right. of it and figure out how you can change that, all you can do is relax around it hmm. and forgive yourself because you're doing the best you can. And that's an active... It's an active, intentional thing that you have to apply because what stays in your system, the self-deprecating thoughts, the negative emotions, uh, the feeling of less than, it all stems from a desire in all of us to be enough, right? And so when you hold on to it, then it's only yours. So it's choice again. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That can be applied to so many things. Oh, it's everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
you can only push so far and then you have to kind of let go and be in acceptance. Yeah. And do your best and that's, yeah, and then accept. Wonderful. So what are some techniques that you use to boost your willpower? Like when you're craving something, <laughs> you know, or what, what's some of the discipline or what are some of the thoughts, techniques that you can share? Yeah, well, I always ask myself, do I really need this? What is it that's underlying, again, as you okay. mentioned, what, where is this coming from? Um, and sometimes if it is just a craving uh, and I don't want to negate the craving, if you will, I want to give in to it a little bit, right. I'll just boost the quality of what it is that I'm craving. How do you do that? So... If it's chocolate, for instance, yes. I love chocolate. Me too. Um, I cannot live without it. Instead of just getting a run-of-the-mill average chocolate bar, <laughs> maybe I'll go buy the $15 chocolate bar, <laughs> and then I'll have a little bit of it. Right. And it's the best quality. Nice. I like that. Or even fine tequila. There you go. If you're going to do go go big, go. If you're going to do it. And then your your pocketbook is not going to allow it either. I mean, maybe it right? can, but I would rather up the quality of what it is that I'm craving and have it and have a little bit of it and I also take the time that. to savor it. Yeah. Um, a big thing for me growing up, I always thought I couldn't eat sandwiches or sandwiches were not good for me or they would make me fat or some story that I would create but I love sandwiches so every time I'm in Carbondale there's a sandwich place that I love and I intentionally order the sandwich I get it once a week and I order it ahead I get it I go sit in the park and I look at the sandwich and I <laughs> eat it slowly and I savor it and it it changes it so there's huh. no longer this um demonizing quality yeah. to it that it's wrong or it's bad that I'm not allowed to have the craving okay I'm gonna have the I'm gonna have the craving of the food but I'm gonna slow down and I'm going to enjoy it I love that and yeah. then it becomes a specialty that yeah. and you have portion control <laughs> in a way that, that's genius I love that yeah. technique it's those little things yeah that's so smart thank you mm -hmm. tell us about uh, yoga therapy I don't know enough about that okay so yoga therapy is a way of applying the practices and the traditions of yoga to the individual. Okay. So as a yoga therapist, I work one-on-one -on -one with people, individuals, and I create intervention strategies specific to what's out of balance for the person. So sometimes people come to me with a health condition or an injury or something like anxiety or depression, and then I am assessing them not only on a physical level, but a, a psychological level and taking structured notes and creating specific practices using yoga tools and techniques for the person. So it's really distinct than going to a yoga class or even having a yoga private where the teacher is modifying and adjusting for you. This is saying, let's use yoga as a means to resolve or even overcome all of the difficulties. And if you can't cure it, to use the practices so that you can rise above a lot of your conditions and live uh, more fully 
freely. And I think the real word is contentment. Mm -hmm. And that goes back into cravings, contentment. Right. Yeah. So let's say, let's go with that one, and then yeah. I'd love to get back to the anxiety because yeah. I know a lot of people that suffer from anxiety, and they don't even know where it comes from. Yeah. And I think it might be absorbing energies if you live in an apartment building. Some people are affected by the people around them. Yeah. They don't even know, and they're, like, anxious, and they don't, mm -hmm. they don't get it. Um, but let's start with the other one. So, um, so if you have these cravings and... Yeah they feel uncontrollable how how yeah. uh, let's i'm coming to you how, yeah. how do i how, how will yoga therapy help me well yoga therapy is a, a process of of applying more discipline self-awareness and surrender these are the three steps of kriya yoga is is tapas vajaya and ishvara pranidhana and um, by merging these these three things together and applying that into your practice, you can have greater uh, discipline, mm. self-awareness, and again, surrender in everything that you're experiencing in your life. So some change happens in your life. Um, you get diagnosed with something, you have a divorce, you lose a bunch of money, change happens, and we often identify with change. As a diabetic, I'm sure you can understand, it's like every day there's change going on and so the more that you are identified with the change as who you are the more suffering um, happens not only uh, not only through the body but on like an in a really internal level right you hold on to that tension yeah. um, and that's where a lot of these other things that come up so the cravings okay yeah. I'm not feeling good about myself so I'm craving something else to fill that space again yeah. and contentment is it's a state of being I see it as being distinct from happiness it is something that's uh, always present it's it's non-craving it's being able to observe that you're wanting something, but that you're in a way impervious to it, that you observe that it's coming up in your attention, but it doesn't have any control over you. Yeah, you're the observer versus in the thought. Yeah, and that's what all yoga is really about. It's about this dualism of the observer observing the subject, observing the object, but also the non-dualism that it's all is, is one. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So let's, uh, can we tap into the anxious one? Yeah, for sure. So I, I know a lot of people that are suffering from anxiety. Oh, yeah. How, if they were to come to you, how, how could you help? Hmm. Well, anxiety is, it's interesting. I've experienced anxiety a lot in my life, too. I come from a, a long line of anxious people. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I come from worriers. Worriers, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's all kind of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so anxiety is something, again, that you're observing. It's not you. It's a sensation. Hmm. And so the more clear and perceptive you can become with the practices of yoga asana, specific breathing techniques, meditation, of course. Um, you can see more clearly what it is that you're experiencing on an inner level, on an internal level. Right. Right. And that anxiety ceases to be something that you let have power over you or you observe when it's coming up. Excuse me, I need a sip of water. Go for it. You observe when it's coming up. That makes sense. And then you apply specific 
intervention strategies to bring yourself back to a state of calm and balance. And to know the difference between anxiety and depression. Uh, in yoga, yoga tradition and in yoga therapy, it's believed that unresolved desires or things that you want to do for your, with your life, if you're not manifesting that, it can turn into anxiety. Ah. And that unresolved anxiety can turn into depression. Oh, wow. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. These expectations that you set up for yourself, then if they're not met, creates anxiety that creates yeah. depression. And that feeling that's uncomfortable, it's kind of an alarm sometimes. Wake up, wake yeah. up. Yeah. Wake up. What you're feeling is actually, is that intuition? Yeah, I wonder if it's intuition or is it, it's intuition probably that you need to let go of something mm -hmm. or to work on feeling better about yourself, good enough. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying all of that feeling, because anxiety feels pretty uncomfortable. Right. I'm not saying that it's all um, intuition that you're feeling. It's through clarity you can assess, is this really intuition or is this fear, right? A lot of anxiety has to do with fear. And when your nervous system is unbalanced and you're always in this on guard, defensive mode, you can't be soft, you can't receive. You can't feel. So it's not moving through your body. You're not releasing it. It stays there. Right? How can you tell the difference between fear and intuition? It, with practice. With practice. Learning how to listen. Clearing the vessel. That's why there's so much uh, benefit to eating well and treating your body well and treating your mind well because when the vessel is clear, you can perceive more clearly. But if there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, you can't perceive clearly. So you don't know. You get confused. Right. Right. So the nutrition and the breathing and the yoga practice, yeah. all of this helps to make those what's really a fear-based thought versus a guide yeah. <laughs> clear exactly and then mm. you can respond appropriately and i think that's what it's all about responding appropriately i have a craving am i going to, how am i going to respond to that craving right can i do it from a place of uh from a place of more clarity and knowing and saying, I love this thing, so I'm going to up the level of it. Right. You know, I love coffee. I'm going to have the best coffee beans. I'm going to have one coffee in the morning. Right. And really thoroughly enjoy it because this life is meant to be enjoyed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's my trouble. I have, I'm a pleasure seeker mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I, I, I reprimand myself afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I'll eat the cookie. I'll eat the chocolate. Yeah. You know, I'll have the coffee, and then mm -hmm. afterwards, I I knock my I cut myself down for it for not having enough discipline. And right, and that it's not even about what you ate at that point or what you did. It's what you think about afterwards. Right, that's the most damaging part of it. Right, I think that the thoughts actually cause more damage internally mm -hmm. than the cookie, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, than the, than the refined sugar or whatever yeah. it is that. Yeah. So what if you could have the cookie and just love yourself just, while yeah. you're eating the cookie? Right. Yeah. As long as we're saying, no, we can't, then we want it more. Yeah. I remember when I was first diagnosed at 13, 
I did not have self-discipline. And uh, my brother, who's not diabetic, would want to have his cereals and his cookies and all those things that I loved so much as a kid. And I would just obsess about it. Right. And I didn't have the ability to say no, so I asked my mom to lock everything up. She put everything in this toolbox kit with locks around it, and oh. I would still find a way to... to get my hand in <laughs> and pull out a cookie because the the yeah. mind's desire to have what it couldn't have was so strong and I did not have the clarity or the the strength the fortitude to say no and to recognize that what I was experiencing was simply an impulse right a desire uh, it wasn't truly what I wanted or I needed that's the separation right yeah there. yeah that's the clarity yeah, that makes so much sense. Tell us about your diabetic program. Please. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm so excited. Yeah. It's the first yoga therapy program of its kind applied for type 1 diabetes. There's so much out there about type 2 diabetes, um, but we're a small population of people. But Growing. the more and more I talk about it with people, someone has a cousin, someone has a sister, yep. and more people are getting diagnosed at later ages with yeah. type 1 diabetes. 29. 29, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You were what age? I was 13. Oof. But Still I know people that are diagnosed in their 30s wow. or even later. So as I mentioned prior, yoga therapy is is taking the, the practices and the traditions and applying it directly to the condition. Hmm. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing a six-week series, keeping it really simple. It's an all-online program. It's for anyone Love that it. is interested in using yoga therapy uh, to help them with type 1 diabetes. And a lot of it is about what you can regulate now. So using practices to help you when you're feeling, when you're high, to help you feel better, or when you're low, to rest, recover, build your energy back up. But then going into it on a deeper mental and psychological level and looking at what is the root behind the impulses. Right? Nice. Type 1 diabetics are highly, highly uh, susceptible to anxiety and depression just by nature of the condition, more so than the average person. I didn't know yeah, that. they are. And and so because probably of this exact because you're you're getting a number five to six times a day saying oh yeah. you didn't do very well you didn't do very well <laughs> and then in addition to the number now you've got all this technology which is so amazing but people are getting uh like FOMO fear of missing out or they they start to get hyper vigilant when they see an arrow going up or down in a direction and then they respond before their intuition allows them to actually reflect on what did I eat, how much insulin I had, where am I going. So the alarms are going off and it's, it's overwhelming. It's incredibly wow. overwhelming. It really is. Yeah. And then everyone has those days. If it's diabetes or something else, I just, why me? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so over this. We all have those days. So how can you recognize what you're experiencing? What are the emotions? What are the sensations? Create a separation between you, the observer, and what you're experiencing, yeah. diabetes, and apply specific intervention strategies to reduce the imbalances. Hmm. Can you give us some of those strategies? Yeah, absolutely. Intervention. Intervention strategies. Love it. Well, a huge one is breathing. Yeah. I, a big part of what I do, my daily practice, is some sort of pranayama technique. 
Um, and exhale is naturally more calming huh. to the nervous system. It's more naturally more par uh, parasympathetic than inhale, which would be naturally more sympathetically stimulating right. versus calming. Okay. Um, so just by nature of lengthening your exhale, it has a calming effect. So you could inhale just normally and with each progressive breath, try to lengthen your exhalation a little longer, a little longer without forcing it, of course. That's the caveat. Right. Anytime we try to, um, to do something, the mind wants to really try hard. <laughs> so there's this balancing of putting effort into it, but also staying relaxed. That's the point. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you could sit for five minutes and just concentrate on slowly lengthening your exhale. It will naturally start to calm the body, soothe the mind, help you get out of that reactive state where you're just, um, you're on guard and, and maybe you're angry and you're not seeing clearly. To, that will help you create the space of you really being steeped in your wisdom, you, the, your own teacher, the observer. So true. Yeah. Do you do this every morning as a morning meditation or do you do, um, target this every time you get triggered? Well, it just depends. Again, it depends on whatever I'm experiencing. So if I wake up and my blood sugar is high, I might do a different kind of practice or low or if I'm feeling emotional or if I'm feeling kind of sad. Um, but every day I get up first thing and I sit and that actually, how do you have the motivation to do that? Well, the motivation is I know the difference of how I feel and how I respond when I don't. Yes. So every day, I won't lie to you, after doing this for a very long time, I still wake up and there's a part of me who's like, oh, well, maybe not today. And then that other part of me that willpower is actually stronger now and says, no, yeah. if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. Right. And if you don't do it, you're not going to have as much strength and calm and perceptiveness for you to go through your day. Uh, so yeah. you don't waste a day. Right. Yeah. When, when you see the benefits so yeah. clearly after a giving it enough time to yeah. show up and really show you yeah. how much it benefits you, then, then yeah, you, you know you don't want to miss it. But it takes time to refine that. Right. I have a lot of clients that start working with me, and I'll give them practices. And for a few months, really depending on the personality, they might not do those practices. But then sh surely they start to do it, and then they start to notice that they feel different yeah. They feel better when they do do the practices. So that's the impetus to continue to do it. So that yeah. when they don't do it, they're not hard on themselves, but they notice that they feel, they feel different. Yeah. And that's giving the individual either if they've got diabetes, you've got MS, you've, you're just a, a regular human being in this world wanting to live more authentically and freely. It gives you the power to influence change. Yeah. This change is always happening, but if you can harness it and move it in a direction that's best suited for you, then, then you're more powerful in all of your choices. Love that. <laughs> it's so true. All right, we have one more minute. Do yeah. you have one last tip? That, like, what other strategy that would you recommend for like a morning meditation? Is there any other? Yeah, well, uh, 
you know, I always like to practice a little bit of movement before I sit. Right. So anywhere from 10, 15 minutes of some forward bending, side bending, backward bending, but breathing so you can prepare your body, prepare your energetic body as well to sit. Do a three minute rest on your back like Shavasana and then get up, sit up and, and tap in just to your normal breath. Observe the normal automatic involuntary breath not trying to breathe it just observe it right here and that could be your meditation for several years is just focusing on this i love yeah. it evan thank you so yeah, much thank, thank you, you for so being much. here thank you for everything you're doing and i look forward to supporting your program we'll have that up on aspentalkshealth.com mm -hmm. you guys can go there and i'll have that link for you and I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers.